Welcome to the 160th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage. What is up, everybody? Goddamn, man! Our boys did, did it, it fucking again. Yeah, again. They did it again, dog. The Trailblazers knocked off the Denver Nuggets in Game Seven, 100 to 96, advancing to their first conference finals. In 19 years, I was a freshman in high school, dog. Like 19 years. I, I don't. I saw a tweet. Um, I believe it, uh, the handle was uh, Skywaker9. And he tweeted out something before the game like, This playoff run is a younger generation's Blazer fan first taste at what a deep playoff run looks like. Because it's been goddamn 19 years. I mean, you you have the old heads who were around when Bill and Mo were running shit in 77. You've got people like me who grew up with Clyde and Terry and then kind of, you know, were older for the, the 2000 Blazers. Ever since then, there has not been a team quite like this to advance this far into the NBA playoffs. And without our second best player, arguably, I mean, that that's questionable now. Let's just say top three player. Okay. Because, second best player in the regular season. Yeah. Because goddamn. Yeah. Uh, see, no, no, no. CJ is killing shit. Don't, don't get it twisted. He is killing shit. Nurkic was killing shit too. I know it's been a minute, but the man was putting up some insane numbers. So, but I think first and foremost, I'm just so thankful I got to watch the game with with you and Olga. We were in the blazer room, and after the the final horn went off, like we just embraced and it was it was legitimate like pure joy, like the fact that we were going to the conference finals and just high fiving and in disbelief and then on mother's day to boot you know i'm calling my mom i mean just on speakerphone she's through the roof we're talking about getting conference finals tickets i mean it it was like the dame shot but in a more intimate setting because it it was the same type of reaction just for however long it lasted it was pure joy and those moments don't happen very often we're definitely lucky having two or three really just iconic shots in the playoffs. I think being there in game five made it feel more special. Yeah. But in the, in, just like hanging with the, the friends and shit, it was cool. Like it was the same, it was the same feeling, but I don't think it was as long lasting because we weren't in the arena like it was for game five. Cause that shit, we literally stayed in the arena for like 15, 20 minutes extra. Just lit, like being in the crowd, being with the crowd. So being at that game, it, it just shows like the value of being there. Cause you see, you see all the videos. You see Anise post his uh, video. You see all these people. And I felt the same way, but it's just like, if I was at that arena, 
I think it doubles in in the memories, at least for me. I don't know. It, it's equally. Uh, I mean, special. like the the results, much better, much better. Conference finals to semi, yeah. But man, there there was something special oh, about absolutely. being there. Have, yeah, when you have that shot and you you're celebrating with twenty thousand. But but what I'm saying is, to be there, you know, we're able to to, to yell and scream and you know cheer, and it's just the three of us. And then I'm calling my mom. Anise is calling you. I'm on speakerphone being like, okay, I can get you tickets. We're going to go to game four. We're going to go to game six. Like, just I'll never forget that. Like, this team is so special. And like I said, after the game five loss, that I didn't want to jinx it beforehand, but after we lost by 20 and kind of throw that out the window, this 2019 playoffs there was just something special about it. The team feels like a team of destiny. And you can really say that now after they came back and defied the odds after being down 3-2, after winning a Game 7 in Denver. Mind you, 105-28. and That was the record in favor of the home team in a Game 7. Not only did Portland beat those odds, they were the only team in NBA this season to beat the Denver Nuggets twice on their home court. I, I, I just don't think we can play that up enough and to do that without without Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, th- this team is incredible. For all of the, the road woes they've had since 2000 in the postseason, they are now 3-3 three and three on the road. OKC and Denver, two incredibly difficult arenas to win in. Three and three without use of Nurkic. So just And Rodney Hood for a half. Enjoy this ride. Like continue to enjoy this ride because as we witnessed in franchise history, this is only the seventh time the Blazers have made it to the Western Conference Finals in forty nine years. Like let that sit in like we're we're not the Warriors, we're not the Spurs or the Lakers. We don't rattle these off. We didn't have a transcendent player in terms of the NBA to carry us multiple years or a super team. What we have is a homegrown team who is now starting to put it together and really showing that continuity and chemistry are starting to to pay off. I mean, this I guess words are just really hard to to come by. You start running out of you know superlatives to describe the emotion that we're going to the Western Conference Finals. We are only one of four remaining teams. Let let that sink in. If this was the Final Four, the Portland Trailblazers would have punched their ticket. We literally have a 25% chance to win the NBA championship. Think about how you felt last April and where we're at now. Rip City is such a uh, good community of dedicated fans. To see the community get to this point where we're in the Western Conference Finals after, you know, losing, getting swept, getting swept in the last two, it's fucking beautiful to see how, like, resilient the fans are and how they're willing to step up for their guys day in and day out. I said this to you... It just means more for us than it does for Denver. Denver's got four franchises 
the the Colorado Avalanche made it to the the second round of you know the NHL playoffs. They've already won a couple of cups. The Broncos have won multiple Super Bowls over the past you know twenty years. Um, they have the Rockies who have made it to a World Series playoffs twice in a row too. I think we have the Blazers. Yes, the Timbers are incredibly fun, but if you're if you're talking about you know the Big Four, and I think ultimately the MLS is going to make it a Big Five soon enough. But this is this has been and always will be a Portland Trailblazer town. Mm. For the longest time, it was the only ticket in town. You just see how much it it means. I mean, you watch Anise's video. That's how I was reacting. Like this is twenty nine years of a fandom culminating mm. in 48 minutes. I tweeted this out. This is the third biggest victory in, in during my fandom. You have game four of the 92 finals, which tied it up at two. I was only seven at the time, so I don't really recall. It, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't as meaningful as this one because you were a child, though. And you have game six of the 2000 Western Conference finals, which pushed it to seven, and I damn near remember that. And then you have this game, which will put us in the Western Conference Finals, the first road Game 7 victory in franchise history. I mean, I, it's almost shocking that we're talking about this, given how the game started. I mean, as I rewatched the game, Portland got down 17 in the second quarter. As we you know, correctly predicted, you aptly pointed out, Denver downloaded our starting five. They knew how to attack Amino and Harkless, and we didn't. We weren't playing desperate enough. I don't know why we didn't come out with that, you know, oomph, so to speak. But Denver looked like they were a running back running downhill, and they were trucking, and they were stiff arming, and they were strutting into the end zone, um, dunking the ball. Jokic was having his way, and Gary Harris just. Drive. I mean, just we weren't putting up a fight. It was like Moses part of the Red Sea, and they were taking it to the paint. And then all of a sudden, the Blazers started to clamp down. And CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, mostly CJ, but they both figured out Jokic is coming up much higher on that pick and roll. There was not the space that there was in Game 6, which gave Dame so many of those three-point attempts, which allowed him to go 6 of 13. They brought Jokic much higher up. So what did the guards start to do? They then split the they split the pick and roll essentially, which is incredibly risky. And the team did an amazing job of taking care of the basketball. They only committed four turnovers as a team in a game seven on the road. Incredible, incredible display of of handling the ball. But by splitting that double, CJ then had wide open looks at you know mid range jump shots. And then they started to hit the open man. You know, Myers had a dunk. Mo had a dunk. E.T. was getting busy. It just felt like Denver could never bury us. They had us in the grave a couple of times and we're starting to get the shovel. But we, we kept, you know, putting our hand up on the grass and pulling ourselves up. They just were never able to, to deal the knockout punch. You know, as I was watching that, that game, Portland got it to like three. And then Rodney Hood had the injury, and then they had like the four point possession. You're like, God damn it. Goes back up to eight. Portland gets it to with one, and then they go back up to eight, and it just kept swinging and swinging until finally we took the lead. And I thought that was a major key. We didn't end up taking the lead into the fourth, 
But we took the lead and I was like, okay, now now we're ready for, for 12, 12 minutes, winner take all, one point game. You would have taken that scenario much, you know, easily before we even played that game. Those two definitely were able to break down that defense, man. Jokic is great, but he's not the most fleet of foot. So once you turn the corner, it's open season. It's only Paul Millsap, and we saw what our guards can do one-on-one with a bunch of space. Paul Millsap's a fantastic defender, but our guys were locked in on making plays, whether it was to other players or for themselves getting getting buckets. I mean, I, I think credit is to be given to all of the Trailblazers, and, and we will kind of go down down the down the list. But once again, the Blazer bench outplayed their Denver counterparts. For a Denver team that was so talented in the regular season, I mean, they were so deep. Portland's bench won nearly every matchup. I believe they won. Th- five or six of the matchups, and, and tonight was no different. The Blazers got 29 points from their bench compared to just 17 from, from the Nuggets. Once again, same scenario as Game 6. No Nugget had double figure in points. And it just kind of goes back to being that the, the continuity, the chemistry, and a little bit of destiny. Because Evan Turner, I believe, had four points something like that, in the first six games. He ended up with nine in the fourth quarter. He had 14 for the game, seven boards, two assists, no turnovers. And I was telling I was telling Olga this as we rewatched the game. He's never going to amount to that $17 million contract. But when Neil Olshay signed him, this was the type of performance that he envisioned. You're taking care of the ball. You're going to play tough defense. And if we need to get, get a bucket, you can overpower some guys in the paint. I mean, he really, for the second straight game... He was big. He played to his strengths. I mean, he hit clutch free throws, bro. And you know that's not the that's not the easiest thing in the world to step up on the, in the line all by yourself and shoot free throws. And he did it in the most clutch situation, fourth in front of him. He did his thing, man, and rebounding, defending. Evan Turner did work. He's flawed. We've seen the flaws. He stepped up in two games when he, he needed to step up the most. These last two games are the reason why Neil O'Shea trusts Evan Turner in situations. We've seen when them, they go awry, but we've also seen when they f- succeed. I mean, we talked about making free throws, and Portland did just that. They did Sean Lee proud. Evan was 8 of 9 for himself. I think all of them really happened in the fourth quarter. 20 of 24 as a team. That's 83%. Denver, on the other hand, shot 15 more free throws. They went 28 of 39, just 72%. To me, Denver, when I rewatched that game, fatigue finally hit them in the mouth. They finally showed the signs of a team that played 14 games in 28 nights. And as you watched Portland get physical with Denver... Myers did a fantastic job. Zach played unreal defense. There was no lift in those legs. We made them earn every bucket they got. I mean, the switching on Murray. Mm-hmm. We downloaded Fred, them. We downloaded yeah. them. Like we no. get they they downloaded us, our starting five. We downloaded their most important players. Like we knew what to do. We knew how to irritate Murray. He had an awful game shooting wise, 
four of eighteen. Like he he find he had some great games. Don't get me wrong, but in game six when we were riding him hard on the pick and roll, so he couldn't do the floater, that was huge. We downloaded what Denver was doing, and in the seven game series, you pick up on those little things, and we finally took advantage and clamp city, bro. And I know Portland attempted seven more three pointers, twenty six to Denver's nineteen. But again, on the rewatch, and even watching live, it felt like Denver was really relying on that three for the home run. And Portland, on the other hand, kind of just was like, okay, this is not our night from three. We'll shoot it if it's off of a wide-open driver kick. But CJ's like, let me live in this mid-range. All you analytics dudes out there want to say it's got to be nothing but a layup or a three. I'm going to make my living. I'm going to submit my legacy right here in the midi. Mm. You cannot guard me one-on-one, and I am going to be a certified bucket getter. And that's that's what he was. This was the best performance of CJ McCollum's career. I mean, he had some absolute heaters in the series. You're talking about 41 points, 60 minutes in that quadruple overtime victory, and 30 points in 42 minutes uh, in game six. He comes up with an all-time Trailblazer great performance. This is going to go down along with Damian Lillard's 50-burger against the Thunder in Game 5. 37 on 17 of 29. He didn't have it going from three. He only took three attempts. He was living in the paint, and he was living in the mid-range. I cannot stress how impressed I was with, with C.J. McCollum, not only getting 37, not only grabbing the nine boards, shout out to Dame Dollar for getting eight himself, the guards did work, but he became an all-around player in this series, much as we talked about. That chase-down block. Humongous. It was like LeBron in, in 2016. I mean, you were watching, like, is he going to get, oh, my God, there's, he's, did, he's, he's sizing him up. Like, he's, he's, he's got the hesitation steps. Oh, there he goes. And you see the replay, and the dude is so elevated off the floor, gets it clean. I mean, the, that that is an all-time. All time blazer play right there. I Olga pointed this out. Like shout out to Seth for being able to slow Murray down on the drive so that CJ could time the steps and get the block. So like that was a brilliant two man game right there. And it just showed that the Blazers wanted this more. And that's what you want to see as a fan, because I don't think you could necessarily say that through the first, you know, 12, 15 minutes of the game, Denver, Denver punched us. I mean, they looked like they were going to knock us out and kind of drag us home, mm. send us home essentially. But we weathered, we weathered a lot of storms, man. I mean, Rodney went down. Thankfully it, it is a hyperextended left knee. He's probably still questionable to play in, in game one, which we will get to, but it, it doesn't seem like it's season ending. Like we initially felt when we saw it happen, happen live, but what? I mean, I'm at a loss. I I truly am at a loss. It it just felt like a team victory. You have Maurice Harkless and Alfred Gaminu come in and play probably seven of the worst minutes of basketball that we've, that we've seen from them. Uh, Missing open shots, not really, just not really having an impact. When Rodney came out, Mohawk was like, okay, uh, switch needs to get flipped. 
he had, I think, one of the more important possessions, just like he did in Game 3. Maurice Harkless had a put-back jam and won, missed the free throw, got the ball back, and then put it in the paint with his with his right hand. That was right off of the heels of Denver getting a similar four-point play. So you had two heavyweight teams just, just trading blows, and Portland would never go down to one knee. They still stayed standing tall. And Mo Harkless just – I mean, the defense was just – suffocating on Denver. We made their role players shoot every attempt they took fadeaway jumper, you know, every shot in the paint was either rejected or, you know, really highly contested. Portland did an incredible job on the backboards. I mean, we finally solved Denver getting just what they wanted. Denver only had 13 offensive rebounds, 51 for the game. Portland had 12 of their own, 55 total boards. I mean, there's just not much more that that you can say other than everyone stays ready. And that's incredibly impressive to see. Even Myers Leonard, who didn't see action in game six, comes in, I thought played just fantastic physical, you know, yeoman's defense uh, on Nikola Jokic. And then I think my favorite Myers play of his career and probably his as well, He's sometimes been hesitant when he gets the ball in the paint. He got the ball off of a Damian Lillard drop, kind of hesitated for a second, and then just rose up over Millsap and Jokic for the one-hand power jam. And I'm like, fuck yeah, Myers. Like, you've earned that. You you have kind of taken your licks throughout your seven years in Portland. You've stayed positive throughout. You fucking earned that. And like, way to come up clutch. Everyone played a role in this victory. I loved how Zach Collins played. Zach Zach had four blocks. That's nine in the past two games. This is the player that, that we need. And, you know, my apologies. You said last game, Chiefs agent, probably a little upset. And I said, I don't know. No, no, no. I, I think Chiefs agent might start to get a, a little uneasy because Chief played seven minutes and did not come back in the game. I don't think that's going to cause anything in the locker room, just just for the record. But I think I it's think, given; it's just more leverage for the team. I mean, I would say I was very upset with how long Terry let Aminu and Harkless play. I mean, it was seven minutes from too. the jump yep. that this starting lineup wasn't going to work. But shout out to Coach Stotts for making the second half adjustments. He started Rodney and Zach. He rode Zach hard, and then he went to Myers. He knew that just in this series, it was not a good Aminu matchup. Make no mistake about it. To beat the Warriors, we're going to need a lot of help from Chief, especially defensively. It's a much better matchup for him. But Terry has been, I think, loyal to a fault, especially when it comes to his rotations. And he made a tough call. It's not easy telling your starting forward of the past four years, you're probably not going to play the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. Yet, he rode with what he believed should have been the correct lineup. He did that. The team won. And this team has an incredible bond. Everyone is happy for another. I, I was just very happy to see Terry make those adjustments because well, that, it, that was one of my biggest question marks mm-hmm. going into the game. Yeah, it's, it, it's one of his biggest question marks as a coach, though, is adapting to situations as they arise. He's been doing a really good job of 
being flexible. And I think that's the thing that we've always really needed from Terry Stotts was to be flexible when there's in-game adjustments. Make them. Don't wait until the game's over and talk about it. He needs to make those adjustments in-game. And in this series, he's doing it. And, and we've seen coaches change their philosophies and schemes. And when shit gets tough, you go back and revert to what's gotten you there. Well, what got him there would have lost us the game. He stayed with what he was seeing on the court and did a very good job. Like, so shout out to Stotts for finally showing that he can make those adjustments. I mean, I would say that prior to this season, I lumped Stotts and Olshay together because I think they're they're married in this Blazers relationship. Absolutely. That they had to get out of the first round for them to come back another season. Obviously, Nurt going down basically gave, I think, each a mulligan. And that's, you know, putting playoff success on either. Really, I don't, I don't think would have been fair given the, the circumstances. But regardless, the team got out of of the first round and I don't think there's a a better free agent coach out there, but before tonight, I wasn't sure if Terry Stotts was ever a championship level head coach. He's getting me closer to that, to that line that says he is because it is tough to make adjustments. And I think he really like the players went blow for blow. I think he went blow for blow with Mike Malone. Like both guys, basically through the kitchen sink at one another. I mean, we had everything from Aminu guarding Jokic to, you know, Harkless then, you know, transferred over to, to Joel Murray. And then it was Rodney Hood, you're going to come in and post up. And, okay, now it's Zach Collins. You and Rodney are going to be the the dynamic duo off the bench, figuring out ways to get, you know, Dame and CJ the ball. It was definitely a chess match. It was a chess match, and... After last season, Terry grew up. I mean, I am incredibly impressed at the way that he was able to coach through this. Yes, Damian Lillard is a de facto coach, and I'm equally as impressed by his leadership as well. But the Blazers were dealt a pretty rough hand going into this postseason. Even more when you consider who their opponents mm. could have been. I mean, you got the Thunder who swept us and the Nuggets who won three out of four and have. Or, I mean, we talked about this on the preview for the series. They had the one player that we didn't want to see because of who we had missing. Mm. You know, Jokic on cancer with a separated shoulder on paper, that was a recipe for a disaster. And Ennis Cantor held his own. He's never going to be known as a defensive stalwart, but my God, he was bodying him. He had another double-double, 12-13. and 13. He really picked his moments to find – I mean, he's done this throughout the, the, the postseason. He has picked his moments to come up clutch and he did this all during Ramadan. Mm-hmm. I mean – I, I, I that, again, that another element of the series that, that, that can't get lost. Like the dude woke up before 4 a.m. Okay, let's, let's carbo load and hydrate up. He's not getting any water throughout that game mm-hmm. and he's still putting in work. 
everyone played big. Everyone, everyone had a piece in the game, and that I think that's awesome. And like we haven't even mentioned Dame's scoring numbers weren't good. We won Game Seven with our best player not scoring well. I mean that this is this is you know it's crazy. I mean I think it shows the maturity of CJ McCollum to truly become that secondary all-star player next to Dame. I think it shows the role players knowing when they need to elevate their play because make no mistake about it. Dame carried us against the thunder. Mm -hmm. He went mano a mano against Russell Westbrook and won that matchup handily. I've never quite seen a performance like I have in Game 5 where he literally put everyone on his back. Nobody was ready for that game except for Damian Lillard. He had a pretty big roller coaster series uh, against the Denver Nuggets. You know, for the series, played 41 minutes, had 25 points, but really shot subpar from the field. 40% from the field, just 27% from three. I think 70, the three-point was the only where he was subpar. 79% from the line. I mean, he did do, I mean, six assists, five five boards, two steals. I mean, so he, he did fill up the box sheet, but he wasn't that dynamic scorer that he was against the Thunder. And, you know, he put up 39 in game one. He had 28 in the quadruple overtime, and then he had 32. You know, he carried us in game six. He set the tone. His three-point barrage in the third quarter allowed us to pull away. But in game seven, he, he didn't have it. And for whatever reason, shot three of 17, just, just could not figure a way to, to get it clicking. But he and CJ did a tremendous job on the glass, 10 boards. He has eight assists to one turnover. And he hit, two incredibly huge three-pointers in the fourth quarter. That, that corner three game. was huge. Yeah. He really, both of his threes, the first one put us up five, and we finally got a two-possession lead. And then that second one was like, oh, shit, this could really happen. We're up seven. Holy fucking shit. Like, big game Dame. Like, we were we were going nuts in, in, in the room watching that game. But as you know, on the final few plays of the game, it was CJ. ISO'd up. Not many star players will be cool with being, you know, one of the corners in, in a five-out set. Just be, just sitting there, just chilling, not not anticipating the ball, not even acting like you're going to get the ball. Just literally standing there as a warm body while your running mate is going one-on-one, -on -one hitting the biggest shots of his career. Again, it goes back to the continuity and the chemistry and the love that the players have for one another, and. Chris Haynes had a really great piece on – he just figures – I mean, he has a great relationship with, with, with Dame and CJ, but really good insight into how Dame leads. He did not have a good game five. No one did. And it was after game five that he sent a group text to everyone on the roster. It was like, we're not going out like this. You know, we're, we're better than this. And it was a similar – Thing to what LeBron did in 2016 when he sent out a, a mass text when they were down 3-1. The leadership of this guy 
goes way beyond what the box score says. And I'm so thankful that CJ was there to pick him up because, as I was telling you guys, the last thing I wanted to hear was any Damian Lillard slander in the offseason. And by CJ picking everyone up, no one's really going to remember Dame went 3 of 17 in this Game 7. They're going to remember the two big threes, the 10 rebounds, and Clutch the Steve. Blazers won the game. Mm-hmm. Winning, winning solves everything. So, we... we... We finish this series against the Nuggets and then get the Golden State Warriors. Before we get into that, two two fan questions. First one from our OG Stupendous, and these are both for you. What was Dustin's quote of the night? I think you said douche nozzle a few times. And then there was a few moments of the game, clutch moments, and uh, where you hit an octave I didn't think you could hit w- with your screaming. Where it was Dame's corner three. Yeah, it was, it was at that register. It was, I we were both celebrating hard, So, but I took a moment to like, the fuck are you doing there, bud? Your relation, bud. I didn't know you could. Your voice could break in pure elation, man. Yes. Yeah, so the douche <laughs> nozzle was in relation to a Nuggets fan who thought the Blazers committed a foul and was clearly, clearly not. You know how fans, myself included, make the motions of what the call should have been. And I was like, basically, like, shut up, you douche nozzle. You're at the game seven. You're not even wearing Nuggets gear. You're not even wearing Nuggets colors. Like, get out of here. Yes. Second question. Second question. Was Jamal Murray indeed not built for this? That game, he absolutely wasn't built for it. Hell no. But it's Jamal Murray, man. He he had five good games, and he always has a bad game somewhere in the mix. He can play fantastic, but eventually the shot isn't going to drop, and he becomes inefficient. So, yes, he wasn't built for this. And also, I've been saying he ain't built for this quite frequently. So you've created a monster. I I don't think he said. I don't, not to not, no offense to you, Dustin, but I don't think you dropped any like new gems. It was no, just a it, lot of yelling this time. It was mostly insults at Denver players and a lot of high pitched noises. <laughs> yeah, a lot of swear words, <laughs> a lot of high fives, a lot of elation. Oh, you smacked the absolute shit out of your leg, and there was a handprint. Oh yeah, that was when we were down seventeen. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't throw shit. I don't like. Yes, you do. Know. You threw your phone. Never. I have witnessed you throw your phone. Yeah. No, not lately. I don't. I try not to throw shit. I just like when it's like like that. It it, it was torturous to watch that that first. You are one of the sweetest people I've ever met. Playoffs, Dustin is not a nice person. <laughs> I'm wonderful. You love it. it. It is. Part of me loves going to your house, but then it's like part of me absolutely fucking hates to see the monster you become for 48 minutes. <laughs> Six man, baby. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's do the next question. Question from Bob Deeger. 
Like you guys, I'm not always the biggest Stotts fan. That said, I thought his approach to the rotations in these last two games were spot on. How are you guys feeling about the coach right now? I've given my piece in saying that I thought he did a fantastic job. I think this is the best he's ever coached. Yeah, I mean, I think he's grown up as as a coach, and I, I think you I think you have to give credit to Damian Lillard for going to to go for going at, at bat for, for for coach for numerous occasions. Uh, I think you have to give credit to Paul Allen for not firing Terry Stotts. I mean, after that sweep last year, Mark Stein reported the Blazers are seriously considering letting coach go. Um, I was all for it. You know, I was, I was tired of the same story over and over again, no adjustments, continuing to let players who aren't really shooters take the bulk of our shots when the games matter the most, basically being stubborn in, in the rotations, but it paid off. It was his best year coaching all of the adversity that the team has gone through. You can tell the team really goes to a bat for him. And I, I knew that. I knew he was a fantastic players coach. But what I needed to see was some in-game adjustments. And I thought he did a really fantastic job this series. And just like with the players, we are the first ones to praise them whenever they are you know, putting on a clinic. But we'll also be real if they're not putting up. You kind of have to Stotts, say. I mean, Stotts was flawed with his small forward play the entire year. So, like, yeah, he's, he has been bad in some aspects of the game. But right now he's coaching really well. We can't give all the credit to Stotts. I'm sure that all of his assistants are doing really well. I have seen so many fan bases talk about uh, Vanderpool and Tibbetts as future head coaching candidates. Like when, when, when teams like view your assistants at such a high regard, you know, you're doing something right. I, I, I'm very proud of the coaching, the coaching, uh, in this series. And I, I'm really hopeful that Tibbetts and Vanderpool will get co- head coaching jobs. Like they've, 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 done their work here i think there's a lot of good assistant coaches in the league we can bring in to replace them but Stotts has done a really good job as a as a head coach and as a the general of the team so i'm i'm, I'm very happy with them you ready to move on to the western conference finals talk yeah let's do it blazers will take on the two-time defending champion golden state warriors Tips off Tuesday, 6 o'clock. All games are on the ESPN, ABC, family of networks. It's going to be, you know, interesting to kind of predict, kind of even go through not only game one, but the entire series. Both teams have a lot of questions to to answer, and the teams played four times in the regular season, each winning on the other's home court. Uh, Dame had the game winner in Oracle. Uh, we had the big game right before the the All Star break, where we beat them in uh, Portland. And it was also interesting the way the schedule aligned is when Dame hit the game winner at Oracle, we had to play them the next night or the next game in Portland. Mm. And so usually when you have those back to backs, it's really tough to, to to sweep. So it was almost like what happened when we played the Nuggets when we had that back to back 
uh, late in the season. So it, it's kind of hard to read too much into that. You also have to look at the fact that in all four of those matchups, we had Yusuf Nurkic. In all four of those matchups, Boogie Cousins actually never played in any of those four games. Um, it's likely that he's going to to miss at least a chunk of the series. They say he's progressing well, but you know you never truly know if if or when he he will return or at uh, what level he'll return at. at what level? You also have Kevin Durant who missed Game Six of the Houston Rockets series. He still has that mild calf strain. No one knows when he is going to return or if he will. Rodney Hood hyperextended his left knee in Game 7 in the third quarter. Um, he's questionable. and this is always going to be dealing with that separated shoulder. So there's a lot of question marks as as we go into to this Game 1. So it's hard for me to think of like the adjustments and what we need to do to beat Golden State when there's so many question marks of who's going to be on the floor. The things I do know, Dame gets biz against uh, Oakland. People say that Clay Thompson locks up CJ McCollum, but I don't think Clay's going to be able to stop this version of CJ McCollum the way he's been dribbling and executing and playing well. I think it needs two players to stop him. And if Golden State thinks that Clay can just defend him, I think they're in for a rude awakening game one. I think Zach still read space in the Golden State Warriors' minds as well. That's another thing to to really keep in mind is Zach Collins kind of got under Golden State skin. He had that massive block that really changed the complexion of that game. I mean, he had Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson calling him a bitch on the the sidelines and. Make no mistake about it, Zach Collins is going to play a, a ton of minutes. Didn't um, he tell him to shut up, ho, or something like that? Yeah, the Clay Thompson. Right. Mm. I think this series is going to get very saucy. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to get very, very saucy. I'm with it, man. Like, if, if people want to, if people want to take it there, we feed off the fucking hatred, dog. Like, the Nuggets. Didn't really say anything in the press. And like the stuff that, that, that was semi controversial was also very complimentary of our team. This team, there's grudge. There's like that Steph versus Dame dynamics that, you know, everyone always talks about. There, 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 it can be pretty, pretty nasty with the shit talk. And that shit motivates the absolute fuck out of us. This shit can get, this shit can get interesting very quickly. I mean, back to your, point about Dame getting biz against the Warriors averages 28.3 points per game in the four matchups this season shooting 50% from downtown a true shooting percentage of 62% along with six and a half dimes to me this this sets up for I'm not going to make it out to be Dame versus Steph but Dame's going to have to win that matchup if you know what I'm saying because he did that against Russell Westbrook. I don't know how often the two players are going to be actually guarding one another. I mean, as we saw in the I'm Denver series. I'm fine with Dame guarding Seth or, but or as, Steph. But, but as we saw in the Denver series, the opposing small forwards were, were guarding the opposing point guards. When you look at OKC, Dame guarded Russ, but they put, you know, Paul George and, and Jeremy Grant and, you know, others on, on Damian Lillard. 
I don't know who's going to be playing defense, but we need OKC Dame to beat the Warriors. And Dame traditionally goes off uh, against Golden State. You mentioned Klay Thompson. That is going to be a huge X factor. He traditionally has big games. To me, he is kind of like a Jamal Murray. If he plays well, it's going to be extremely tough for the Blazers to beat. And if you look back at the series in 2016, when they didn't have Steph for the first three games, Clay was able to carry that mm. Golden State roster for, for to two out of those three victories. Would you put our best defender on Clay instead of Seth? Because I think Clay's more of the the consistent, and Seth is going to hit you with a microwave like ten point swings. It might be the best move to put Harkless on on uh, Clay, and then it, when KD's out, put CJ or Dame on Jonas. Yeah, I mean, I think given how... Or would Iggy start? I don't know. Fuck that. Well, team. yeah, Iggy's been starting. So given Durant's injury, and I'm assuming he's not playing in game one, you know, they're going to roll out Seth, or excuse me, Steph. I have the same... that Those two names fuck me up. Steph, Clay, Iggy, Draymond, and Kevon Looney. I, I think Golden State's first, I think adjustment is going to try and attack Cantor in the pick and roll. Thankfully, they don't have without Cousins and Draymond not being able to shoot like he has been, I don't think they're going to be able to make Portland commit fully to, to the big, but I could see Steve Kerr really trying to attack Ennis Cantor. Um, I mean, it's a good move. It's a great opening move to attack Cantor. See what he can so, do versus your guys. So that's where it's going to be tough for Portland. I mean, it, it could just be a feel out game. You know, Ennis Cantor described game one against the Oklahoma or against the Denver Nuggets as a feel out game. I mean, I, I don't know necessarily if you can take that risk again in another seven game series because, you know, it's still the first to four advances. So, you know, I think the Blazer guards, they're going to have their, their hands full. Um, you. You can possibly hide Dame or CJ on Draymond Green. I don't think they're going to post him up. I don't think he is a good enough shooter for us to... There's that... Remember Tony Allen? Yep, yep. I think we can play defense on Draymond Green the same way the Warriors did on Tony Allen. Make him prove it. If he hits, fuck, we'll make an adjustment. Has not been a good shooter this year. He's been doing everything else well... But he is totally comfortable not shooting. So if we can incentivize the Golden State Warriors to force feed Draymond Green tough like longer three point shots, I think that that's a good move. I mean, Looney's played well, but I don't like I'm fine with putting Zach on him. Like it's a it the their centers don't scare me. they I mean even when Boogie comes back, if he comes back He's gonna suck, and he takes the ball in his hands a whole bunch. So, it, like, it's gonna be an injured Boogie Cousins taking it away from Steph Curry. I'm cool with that. Yeah, I think if you're Portland, you have to really limit the open looks that Golden State gets, especially in transition. I thought the Blazers got a little heavy legged and tired in games five and game seven, um, especially on the road. Their transition defense was. Five was atrocious. Atrocious. In spurts of Game 7, it wasn't great. Obviously, we saw what happened when CJ had that block in the second half, so I thought the second half 
transition it's defense was much stronger. Yeah, half. Thinking it's half. been it's been a day. But if they're gonna hit contested threes, you kind of have to just tip your hat and and, and just live with that. But it's Golden State. They hit they hit you in pulses. They can you you really have to weather the storm instantly. And so this is where I'm looking for Terry Stotts to say I need I might need to call a momentum timeout. Like you can't you can't let them rattle off two or three straight threes because then that that that's what what fuels them. Especially now without Durant, they are the Splash Brothers again, and that's that's their that's their mo. And if I'm if I'm the Blazers, that that's going to be my priority is to defend that three point line. I think you can live with Draymond Green shooting threes. I would be hesitant to to sag off of Andre Iguodala. I mean, I watched almost every game of the Houston series, and his shot looks good. I believe he shot five for nine in Game Six, especially from that corner. Um, he's he's grown into a much more reliable shooter. So if, if I'm the Blazers, I I'm hesitant to, to sag off of him. Nearly everyone else, they can get it. I mean, if it's you know Alfonso McKinney, Quinn Cook. Um. Yeah, just let let them shoot. But there's there's certain players you don't want to let beat you. And you know, Andre Iguodala, ever since he came over to Golden State, has really been a prime time player. So he's a major X factor. You know, if we can limit his his impact, and his impact goes much further beyond the box score. I mean, you really will know at the conclusion of the game whether you limited him or not. Mm. Uh, to me, that that's that's a huge huge key. The, so I don't know if you watched the New Orleans Pelicans uh, Warrior series. I erased everything. Okay. Okay. So, so, so you talked about momentum timeouts, and Alvin Gentry. Every time there was a momentum shifting play or like three threes in a row, Alvin called the timeout immediately to stop the momentum. And I like the way that he thought of it because. If they're blowing us out and a timeout stops it, that's better than saving all my timeouts for a 40-point blowout. So I like the way you talked about the the using the momentum timeout. It's a it's a it's a tool that I think we need to take advantage of in, in this series. And there I mean there was times where like Stotts even today was too uh too safe with his timeouts and Mike Malone ta- called the timeout to save us. So he, I think, I think he has to be more aggressive with calling timeouts to stop Warriors runs. The Blazer bench. I mean, they are going. If Portland advances, they're going to have their fingerprints all over. If they're able to outplay a very strong Denver bench, they should be able to do the same. And I think Zach is going to play big, just just defensively alone. Zach Zach is going to play big, and I think. It's going to be interesting to see if and when Rodney plays because unless they're going to hide Steph Curry on him, they got a lot of big guards, and so this might be a series where we see it it shift to, to Seth, Steph. Curry. Yeah, that, I, I think Seth is going to be pretty big. I mean, just think about it. Like, I hope Seth doesn't psych himself out. You know, shit. I'm finally. It's the first time brothers have matched up in a conference finals, so I don't want him. And I don't want the team to try to go shot for shot with the Warriors. I think you, I don't think you win a seven game series trying to out Golden State. Golden, Golden State. I think well, Seth is smarter than that, though. I'll give him. A, he is a very smart basketball player. Absolutely, emotions are a thing. Yes, but I, 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 I trust him to 
stay within himself because he's done it the entire year. I I think he's going to be a very big key in this series. Uh, like you, you say Iggy's the X factor. I think I think Seth is our X factor because we need think, his shooting badly. Do you think Terry Stotts rolls out the same starting five, or do you think he makes an adjustment and says, "I want Zach Collins to start"? No, right I think he goes the original five. Start out game one at least, because I think we need both of them. What do the Blazers do when Steve Kerr inevitably, even without Kevin Durant, goes small with Draymond and Iggy as the force, and they just say, we're not playing Looney, we're not playing Bogut, we are going small. What does Portland do? Do they stay big with, with Ennis Cantor? Do Is that when you really see Zach Collins shine at the five? I think it needs to be Zach Collins at the five, because I don't think Enos is going to be able to have the foot speed to keep up with either of those uh, fours. But I would be willing to, if we're dominating the boards and they're missing, I keep them. But if if like they're just too laterally quick for them, Zach Collins, it's time to grow up, baby bird. He's earning his stripes right now. All right, Sage, we've been recording for about an hour now. It's getting late. I got to pee. Get, what? Yeah, I got to go to the bathroom. But we're <laughs> powering through just like the Blazers powered through for this victory. I'm really uncomfortable right now, but yes, let's keep going. You have to go to the bathroom too? Yeah, I have to pee really bad. <laughs> okay. What is your game one prediction? And we've already talked about our X Factors. And what is your series prediction? I say, I think Golden State wins this one. I think Golden State in six. Yeah, I think the Warriors do win game one. Um, it's it's just so hard to to win game one on on the road. I mean, game two traditionally is the game that you steal. I mean, we look nineteen ninety Portland did it at Detroit game two. Ninety two did it in Chicago. Two thousand Lakers game two. Two thousand nineteen game two Denver. I think if you're Portland, you just don't want to get blown out. Um. I mentioned in Game 5, you know, blowout wasn't the worst thing in the world. We had already beaten them twice, mm. and blowouts happen throughout the course of a seven-game series. Uh, I just think that's a tone setter that, that's going to be hard to come back from. Even without Durant for Game 1, you know the national media is not going to give us a shot in hell. A lot of people are going to say, oh, Golden State just going to, you know, roll right past us. I think Portland needs to keep it competitive, and... You know, it, it's really tough that the Eastern Conference got to start their series on Wednesday. And we have to start Tuesday. You know, we really get one day off again. We're flying straight to the Bay after this. So, you know, I, I think Golden State gets one, but fuck it. Blazers in seven. God damn, that's awesome. Just, just I mean, we're this far. We are, we are. Hey, I fuck with it. We, Sage, like, I'm trying to, we are eight wins away from. From the title, we're four mm-hmm. wins away from from getting to the finals for the first time since '92. You were one year old, dog. Yeah, like it, it's going to be incredibly tough. But to be the best, you got to beat the best. Okay, last last question before we wrap up: Who's getting one, two, and three in the lottery on Tuesday? Mm, the Knicks, Hawks. And Suns. I can't give an answer because it's going to be a very biased answer. 
I will say, and this is no shade at you because I've been in your position. It is so much nicer. Oh, it's absolutely nicer to be in a winning situation than a losing. A team that's playing in the Western Conference <laughs> Finals when the lottery is going. Because for, for years, I had the lot, draft lottery date circled as a Blazer fan. Just, just was so stoked for it. And I never really thought we would be the team that actually was playing that 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 same day. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if Zion does come west, I hope he comes to your team. But otherwise, hey. just keep that dude in the Eastern Conference. New Orleans gets two. I'm calling it now. We get Ja. All right, Sage. Uh, I will be going. You know, playoff tickets, they go on sale tomorrow. Getting three, four, and six. Three with the parents. Going with Anise. And you for four yeah. and six. Hell yeah, uh, but I'm getting my fucking extra large hat this time, bud. Let's, I mean, <laughs> let's fucking go. Like, right. they, we're here, Rip City. Western Conference Finals. Savor this. Remember this. Live in the moment. All right, we're available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Nothing But Net Networks, and thank you for listening. We're out. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Everybody, let's go!